Good morning. Thank you, Ben, because that was pretty awesome, don't you think? Um, I, at this point in the service, we're going to invite our ushers, our volunteers are going to come and they're going to pass some buckets by. And this is for our family members who consider East Point Church their home, a chance for them, us to give back to what East Point is doing in our community and stuff. If you're a visitor with us, let those buckets pass right on by. This is our gift to you. We want you to check us out. We want you to make a commitment to us before you worry about finances and all that good stuff. So that's what we're going to do right now. Um, today, I am Pastor Teresa Arndt. I am the women's pastor here, and I get to fill in for Kurt as he's on his way to Africa today. And we're going to start a new series today, and it's called Three Questions of Jesus. So for the next three weeks, we're going to highlight a different question that Jesus asked during his ministry. And we're going to land in Mark chapter 4. So if you brought your Bibles, your Bible apps, you can get those up and ready. That's where we're going to be. But speaking of questions, as a parent, um, maybe some of you can relate, I've asked a lot of questions in my life. What did you do today? How was your day? Did you do your chores? Did you do your homework? Why didn't you pee in the toilet? All kinds of questions. Typically, I'm just trying to get an answer and figure out exchange of information. But sometimes those questions that I ask turn to a more disciplinary nature. Like, for example, when my daughter was around 11, 12 years old, that preteen stage, she was sitting at the counter in our kitchen with a friend, and she made some sassy remark. So I calmly and gently turned around, and I corrected her. And the, her typical response at that point was, and as it was this time, was, well, whatever. So she flipped her head around and said, whatever. And I flipped my head back around, and I said, what did you say? And then I asked her that question, but I was not asking for her to repeat what she said because I heard exactly what she said. I was basically giving her an opportunity to reflect on her heart and change her answer and maybe actually live another day in our house. So Jesus similarly would ask questions. They weren't for the exchange of information. They were for the purpose of whoever he was asking to evaluate their heart and answer it for themselves. So today we're going to highlight one of those questions. And like I said, it's in Mark chapter 4. We're going to start with verse 35 and go through verse 41. So let's read that together. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, he meaning Jesus, let's go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him and them in the boat just as he was. And other boats were with him, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he, meaning Jesus, was in the stern asleep on a cushion. And they awoke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? So let's talk about the storm for a minute. So the Sea of Galilee, the way it's positioned, it's about 13 miles long and about six to seven miles wide. And it's surrounded by mountains. And with all the other environmental factors, it did not take long for a storm to whip up and cause the waves in the sea that could get up to like 25 feet. Very significant sized storms that could easily overcome some of the fishing boats that they were using at the time. 
So this storm, by definition, was actually very massive. And the boat was bouncing around like a beach ball and water was flooding inside it faster than they could keep up with. You have to keep in mind, some of these guys were professional fishermen. So they knew how to handle a boat, even in some of the storms. But they were terrified for their life. And that, in the middle of this frightening ordeal is when the first words out of Jesus's mouth when they wake him up is, why are you so afraid? I am a little bit offended by that question because if I find myself being threatened with my life, I am gonna wonder, why are you asking me why I'm frightened? My, my typical response probably would be, well, if you hadn't been sleeping down with your pillow pit in the back of the boat, you'd know why I'm afraid. Okay, now you know where my daughter gets her sass from easy to see. But about this storm, scholars believe that the storm was actually to test the disciples because this is the only place in scripture that refers to Jesus sleeping. It makes me wonder if he was lying in the back of the boat with one eye open and watching to see what they would do. But Jesus didn't use the storm to test them just so he could watch them fail or to make some cruel sick joke. He allowed the storm to reveal the condition of their heart. He asked the question, why are you so afraid? So that they would in that moment do some soul searching. Now notice that Jesus follows the question, why are you so afraid with another question, have you still no faith? Jesus is giving them the answer to the question that he's trying to get them to understand. He's basically saying that your lack of faith is the reason for such fear. But like many of us do, they gave into their fear and consequently their faith suffered. So here's what I think Jesus wants us to understand. Here's the big idea, it's on your outline today. Fear and faith are opposing forces and they battle for the same place in your heart and mind. Fear will drive out our faith, but faith will drive out our fear. Now notice before Jesus addressed the conditions of the circumstances or the violence of the storm or how the condition of their physical being, he actually addressed their heart. Why? Because he saw fear and not faith. And what this tells me is that their fear was more dangerous than the threatening storm around them, but they couldn't see that. See, some fear that we feel is natural, like when a baby goes through separation anxiety, nobody teaches that baby. It's a natural fear when mommy separates from it. Some fear is learned, like when my son learned the hard way that he needed to not knock down the beehive hanging in the tree. He learned very quickly to be afraid of bees. The disciples were experiencing both of these kind of fear, a natural fear because the storm was obviously bigger and out of their control and they couldn't handle the circumstances. So very natural, but it was also a learned fear because at some point, most of these men in this boat probably knew somebody that had died in the storm. So they learned that they needed to be afraid and they learned that they could fear death because the storms were that violent. But what I noticed is Jesus didn't separate a justifiable fear from an unjustifiable fear. He rebuked all of it. He rebuked both types of fear. Have you ever in your life been blindsided by something that just hit you out of nowhere, completely unprepared, maybe a cancer diagnosis, maybe a loss of job, maybe a rebellious child, maybe, maybe a, a car accident, something that just causes you to all of a sudden 
think about where am I going from here and how am I going to get there? And suddenly you are afraid. You're afraid maybe for your life. Maybe you're, you're fearing loss of security. Maybe you're afraid for your future. Before we can increase our faith in these kind of moments, we have to understand the cause of our fear. So we have to ask ourselves at that moment, why are you so afraid? So here's some possible answers that uh, I want to give to you today that maybe can, that will answer the question that Jesus was looking for from the disciples. The first one on your outline, I think we are afraid because of what we think. Now, when the disciples woke Jesus up, they said the words, and I quote, we are perishing. Now, did they die that day? No. Did their thoughts lead them to believe that they would die that day? Yes. Did their thoughts make their circumstances and their fear worse than it needed to be? Yes. Do you know that studies show that 80% of what we fear will happen never actually happens? 80%. That's a lot of energy that goes into our thoughts. When the storm hits our life, all kinds of thoughts and lies flood our head. And the problem is our heart doesn't know the difference between whether it's truth or whether it's lie. Our heart responds like it's true every time. I am notorious for this because I have a very vivid imagination. But when my son was first getting his driver's license, it was about five years ago, I was chilling at home, sent him off so he could go hang out with some friends at a cross-country meet. I'm relaxed, and all of a sudden, I get a text from him that says, car hit by bus. That was the only thing that this text said. So immediately, my thoughts started soaring all over the place and flooding my mind. Oh my gosh, he's alone, and he's injured on the side of the road. Oh my gosh, he's trapped in his car, and that's all his broken, bloody fingers could text me. Why didn't I get him a smartphone so that I could find out where he is and stalk him? My mind was going insane. So we tried texting him back. We called him, are you okay? Left him messages, 20 long minutes go by. And finally, he calls back. I'm fine. The car was hit by a bus while it was in the parking lot, and we were up watching the race. Yeah, yeah, I was not happy. At first, my thought was, oh my goodness, I'm so glad you're okay. And my second thought was, I am going to strangle you. Do you have any idea what you did to your mother? We had a very long conversation about communication and the importance of using all of your words. But the point of the story is my son was fine. He was fine the entire time, but my thoughts created a story that was not real. Fear filled in the blanks of what I didn't know, and it will do that to us every single time. The enemy wants you to write your fear about doom and despair. What if I lose this? What if this happens? What if that happens? And we create this scenario in our world that we were never meant to experience or live. Fear tells us that this is the end of the story and I'll never make it out of it, but faith tells us that God is the author and perfecter of our life and he has not put the pin down. This is not the end of the story. He's still there writing it. Some of us 
need to be rescued from our thoughts long before we need to be rescued from our circumstances. 2 Corinthians 10.5, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to Christ. All those arguments in our heads of the what ifs, the scenarios that we build, we have to take those thoughts obedient to the truth of Christ's word and who he is and what he says. Instead of creating our own scenario, we need to let God finish the story. Are my thoughts in line with the reality and the truth of God's word? Second reason I think we're afraid is we're afraid because we take the storm personally. Look back to verse 38. When the disciples woke Jesus up, what did they say? They said, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? How can you sleep while we're suffering? Why are you silent? Why am I not hearing you? Maybe something that we would say and take personally. In the middle of a hardship or trial, have you ever felt like God has left you? That he doesn't care because he hasn't changed your circumstances and you know he can? That he hasn't healed your body, but you know he can? But then it's funny how when the storm is over, suddenly we give God the credit for the outcome, but we're too offended in the middle to see that he has been there the whole time. See, fear tells us that our lack of healing or resolution to our circumstances means that God doesn't care, that he doesn't love us. But faith tells us that God's silence does not equal God's absence. Deuteronomy 31.8 says, do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord will go personally ahead of you. He will be with you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. See, instead of taking our circumstances personally, we need to understand that God has personally already taken our circumstances. We don't have to take it personally. He already has. Fear says God sent me into the storm. Faith says God was waiting for me in the storm. And then Romans 8.35 says, can anything separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or are hungry or destitute or in danger or even threatened with death? The answer to that question is no. Am I afraid because I believe this storm means he's abandoned me? or that he doesn't love me enough to rescue me. Third thing that I think is an answer to this question is we are afraid because we have forgotten. See, fear makes us forget the past and it makes us forget the future. See, before the storm, what you need to know that the disciples were in, Jesus performed all kinds of miracles. Peter, who was in the boat, witnessed him heal his own mother-in-law. They watched him touch a man with leprosy and his skin was cleared. He made a lame man walk. He healed a servant who was not even in the vicinity of him and spoke healing over him. All at once, this storm blows in and suddenly nothing that Jesus had done before mattered. And as quickly as they were amazed by his miracles of the past, they forgot them in the middle of this storm. 
See, these were Jewish men. So what they should have done is they should have thought and they remembered. In Deuteronomy 8, 2, it says, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart. See, faith would have said, there's a storm. What does God want to teach me? What does he want to do in me? Instead, the fear took him to, why is he taking my life away from me? Fear makes us forget all that God has done in the past. Fear makes us forget the promises that God has given us for the future. Look back at verse 35. I think this is my favorite part of my entire message today. Verse 35 says, well, Mark begins the passage with these words. Jesus is saying this to the disciples before they get into the boat, before they start to cross over the sea. He says, let us cross over to the other side. Jesus told them where they were going, but fear overcame their faith that he would actually get them there. He told them that in the future they would be on the other side, but he did not tell them that it would be an easy trip. Every trial, every moment that we experience has a past and it has a future. And fear narrows our focus and it isolates us to just that moment that we're struggling in. But faith says that God sees the before and God sees the after. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. See, we're afraid because we're only looking at what we can tangibly touch and see and control, what's temporary. But what is unseen is the future of this moment, which is eternal glory. What does that mean? Just like Jesus told the disciples, we're going to cross to the other side. God tells us that we as believers, followers of Jesus, are going to cross to another side. And that's our eternal heaven. And see, when we cross to that other side, there's not going to be any more pain, no more sorrow, no more loss, no more tears. That is the future of every moment that we will ever go through. When we answer Jesus' question, we see how fear can drive out our faith. But Jesus asked a second question along with that. Have you still no faith? Now, honestly, I think the disciples had a little bit of faith because they woke Jesus up knowing that they could do, he could do something about the storm and save them and rescue them. But here's the problem with that. Their fear over what Jesus wasn't doing was overpowering their faith and belief in what Jesus could do. I have to say that again because this is really personal for me right now. The fear over what Jesus was not doing to rescue from the storm was overpowering their faith and belief in that God would get them through the storm. We have to turn this around. We have to live in such a way that faith is driving out our fear because if for nothing else, Hebrews 11:6 6 says, without faith, 
it is impossible to please God. I have to think that Jesus was a little disappointed after everything he brought those disciples through and seeing the miracles that they saw. He had to have been a little bit disappointed and hurt. Have you still no faith in me after all that I've done for you? So how do we turn this around? Well, I think we have to ask two more questions that will actually help increase our faith. These are on your outline too. The first one is, do you know what kind of man you put your faith in? See, the object of our faith determines the level of faith that we can actually obtain. The disciples were placing their faith in the boats or their their own ability to control the boat in the storm. So their faith was not gonna go very deep. But the moment that they realized and they went from great fear of the storm to great faith in God was the moment that they realized who Jesus was. Look back at verse 39. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm and they were filled with great fear and said to one another. Now the disciples asked the question, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the seas obey him. I would love to have been a fly on the wall. Well, it's kind of a sea, so there's no wall, but you know what I mean. I would love to have been a spectator watching this complete storm go to silence and then the waves completely leveled out to like glass and the disciples standing on the boat dripping wet, water dripping off their beards and their jaws dropped to the bottom of the boat as they stood there and thought about who was in the boat. Because when Jesus said the words, peace, be still, they had to. They were Jewish men. At this point, now they had to remember Psalm 4610, where God says, be still and know that I am God. This is the same exact command that Jesus gave the sea and the waves and the wind. Be still, Jesus was saying, and know that I, God, I'm with you. I don't think Jesus was just talking to the, to the storm. I think that was a great, miraculous, awesome thing for us to look back on. But I think Jesus was talking to their hearts just as much as he was talking to the storm. See, God knows that fear is a natural human response. If he didn't know that, because he knows that, he gave us a command probably over a hundred times in the Bible. It says, do not fear or do not be afraid or fear not. Over a hundred times. And every time, it's not a suggestion. It's a command. It's an imperative. And every one of those is followed by a reason why we don't need to be afraid. Here are just a few. Because I, God, am with you. Because I, God, will strengthen you. I will protect you. I will comfort you. I will come to your rescue. Look those up. Do a Google search on fear not or do not be afraid and look at all the reasons that God says you can trust me. But knowing about God's power and then acting like we believe it are two very different things. Some of us have more faith in the chair that we walked in and sat on than we do in God. Because how many of us actually walked into this room and sat down in that chair and once thought, what if this chair doesn't hold me or support me? Anybody? Nobody. 
But we don't give God, the almighty creator of the universe, the master and creator of all of us, the same kind of faith and trust that we give a simple piece of furniture. Fear causes us to doubt. But your faith will increase when you act like the object of your faith is able to do and will do what he promises he will do. Second question I think we have to ask for increasing our faith is number two, do you know the perfect love of this man? 1 John 4.18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. See, faith in God grows when you understand that he'll do what he says he he will do because of his perfect love for you, not out of obligation, but out of his love that's undying for you. Essentially, isn't fear almost always about loss? I mean, when you break it down, it's about loss of health. It's about loss of money. It's about loss of freedom. It's about loss of security, loss of relationship, loss of dreams. When there is fear in those places, I believe it's because those are the places that God has not yet been invited with his perfect love. Because when you look at what the disciples, when they cried out in fear to Jesus, he answered them with a challenge to look at their hearts. Why are you so afraid? In other words, right now at this moment that you are feeling fear, what are you loving or who are you loving more than me? What are you so afraid of losing that I can't replace it? Love is not warm, fuzzy feelings. It's not lust. It's not sex. It's not all these things that media has made it out to be. Love is pure and simple. It is sacrifice. And God showed that sacrifice in his love when he gave Jesus up to die on the cross because of his deep and perfect love for you and for me. And in return, in that relationship, he calls us to re-engage in him and give him all of ourselves. The Bible says we have to love him with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength. It's within that perfect love that we have to sacrifice and surrender the dreams, the people that we're holding so closely, the relationships, the money, the jobs, all of those things, the health, the security, whatever it is that we are most afraid of losing and trust that God's perfect love is enough. See, fear limits our freedom to love and be loved the way God intended it to be. It enslaves us. Personally, I don't like to stand up here and just talk at you with knowledge that I've learned. I've lived this. There was a time in my life when fear literally overtook and drove my faith completely out. There was a season in my life when all at the same time, I was in fear of losing my sister to a blood clot. 
I was in fear of uh, losing relationships because of some false accusations that were happening around me. I was in fear of uh, finances because I was in a car accident and I had physical injuries. And on top of that, my car was mostly totaled, but I had no medical insurance and I had no car insurance. So I was fearful of how I was going to pay for that. At the same time, I was enrolled in a private Christian college, so I was fearful of failing out of all my classes and the money that I would lose. There was so much more, but that's a taste of the moment that I was experiencing. And instead of letting my past of what God had done for me in the past define my moment right then, I let my fear over what was not known drive out my faith. And just like all of us do, when we're afraid, what do we do? We reach for something to, to end the fear, to solve and calm the storm. Personally, for me, it was such an overwhelming time. And that's, like I said, just a taste of what I was going through. I decided the only way to end the fear and end the circumstances was to end my life. Thankfully, in God's perfect love, he saw fit to rescue me and give me one more chance to choose faith. Now, your story may not be as extreme as mine, but do you realize that fear can still trap you and enslave you and keep you from living your life? Do you realize that fear can rob you of the joy and the love that in any and every moment that God can give you? Because fear tells you God is not who he says he is. I am living proof that God is who he says he is. And the joy of this is that he gives you another chance and another chance and another chance to choose faith over fear. That is my hope and my desire for all of us, that we can grow in our faith in such a way that we are driving out the fear, that we can walk into a storm just as easily as we walk in and sat down on these chairs with the faith in God that we have the faith in these chairs that they're going to hold us and not doubt Answering the question, why are you so afraid, could possibly change your life. Let me pray for you. Lord God, I believe fear is from the enemy. It is not from you. I believe, God, that you gave your son for a purpose and the reason of perfect love and that perfect love will cast out our fear. And when our fear is cast out, it will build and grow our faith exponentially. So Lord, I know I'm not the only one that faces fear in my life. And I know there are people in this auditorium and online that are watching that struggle with circumstances, even right now, that they don't know how they're gonna pan out. They don't know what's gonna happen. But Lord, I just pray against the, 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 the fear that causes us to, to write the story and create a story that doesn't need to happen. Lord Jesus, I pray your faith that your love would cast out that fear so that we can walk in faith knowing who you are, that who you've said you, you are and who you've been in our past is who you will be in our future. We don't have to be afraid, Jesus, because you will comfort us. You will be our strength. You, Father, will rescue us. Even if that means, God, we need to surrender to your perfect love, our dreams, our desires, our hopes, our love, our, our, the love of our life, our security, our finances. We make a choice, Jesus, to choose you 
over all of those. Lord, you have promised to get us to the other side and we have faith and belief in that. Maybe you're here today and you have not yet committed or accepted the perfect love of Christ that died on the cross for you. And you're afraid that the sins of your past are too much. Well, guess what? God says they're not. You're afraid that you've done too much. You've seen too much. You can't be healed, that you can't be forgiven. God says perfect love will drive out that fear. If you wanna make a choice today that says, I choose Jesus over the fear of my past or what the future may hold, then pray this prayer with me today. Lord Jesus, I accept your death on the cross as a covering for my sins. And I accept Jesus that you can cast out the fear that I'm afraid that you won't love me. And I should, and I believe and I trust that you will prove to me that that is not true. Lord, I surrender all that I am, all that I've been, and I give it to you, and I trust you to rebuild my life, and I trust you to set me on a path with hope and a future. Lord, for all of us, love is about sacrifice. Just like you sacrificed your son, you call us to sacrifice things and people in our life. We do that now. Because when we choose fear, it imprisons us, but we wanna choose freedom in Christ and in Christ alone. We choose to no longer let fear be a counsel to our life, but we choose to trust and believe in the counsel of God's word and who he says he is. I pray all of this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Will you stand with me? We're gonna sing one last song, very specifically chosen for this moment. It says, I'm no longer a slave to fear because I am a child of God. I pray that those words will reign in your heart and your spirit and your soul so deeply that you cannot walk out of here without feeling the lightheartedness of the freedom that you can walk in knowing that you're a child of God. May God do that in your heart as we sing. I hope that you know that you are a child of God and you do not have to live imprisoned by fear. If you made a choice today for the first time to accept Jesus and his perfect love into your life and to change your life, then we have a gift that we wanna to give to you. On your way out, there's these little gift bags and in them is a Bible and a couple little things that will just help you get started on your journey. And we also encourage you don't do this journey alone. It is tough, it's hard. So we ask that if you made a commitment to Christ, tell one of us, tell somebody, one of our worship team, tell me, tell one of our pastors. We'll have a prayer team right up front, right afterwards. If you need prayer, if you want more freedom and you need someone to cover you, then please come forward and get that and tell them that you've made that commitment. Accountability is key, guys. So I just pray that this song would be a reminder of you. If you start feeling fear this week, you just remember I am a child of God. And the enemy has no way and no place in my thoughts. Amen? Amen? Have an incredible blessed week. Thank you for letting me share my heart. I love all of you.